Hey, Ralph, want to hear a joke? Well, little Susie had just graduated from college, and she didn't have a whole lot of money, so she had to move in with her grandma. Well, after a couple of months living with her grandma, she knew she, she had to get out of there. So she had to make some money fast, so she became one of the women of the night, and one night she was out working her corner, and the cops come, and they do a raid, and they take all these prostitutes, and they line them all up, and as luck would have it, her grandma's out taking a walk. She sees her, she says, little Susie, what are you doing? She says, uh, they're, 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 they're giving away oranges. She says, well, I like oranges, and she stands in line. Well, cops are going on down the line, and they finally get to little Susie's grandma, and he says, well, you're, you're still at it at your age? She says, oh, yeah, I am. She goes, I just take out my teeth, put them in my mouth, and suck them dry. <laughs> know what to do when everything goes right everybody know to show up and give everything they got when the sun shines everybody when they get what they want they're gonna come and they're gonna be great but it's very few people that reach deep down and got the character that in the midst of opposition in the midst of a challenge to look at it with the right perspective and not only look at it with the right perspective process it the right way and figure out a way to use it what is it that will make it worth it for you when you want to give up things are working against you to face the rejections what is it that will make it worth it for you to brainstorm and not be intimidated and say i can do this what is it that will make it worth it for you to make know your vitamin that you become empowered by it what is it that will make it worth it for you to raise the bar on yourself and say i've got some more stuff in me when you want to keep driving past the office because of the stress what is it that will help you get back up again some of us choose to stay down, but it's that motherfucker who constantly gets up as fast as they can. Those are the motherfuckers that make it in life. All you do is you fall down, get back up again, fall down, get back up again, fall down, get back up again. That's how you win. You've got to activate the thinker in you. Don't allow your emotions to control you. We are emotional, but you want to begin to discipline your emotion. If you don't discipline and contain your emotions, they will use you. You want to monitor your inner conversations, the things that you say to yourself. You want to watch them, and in watching them, you want to take charge. Oh, you really don't feel like it. You really don't need to do it. Forget all that. That's that inner conversation. Oh, you don't need to worry about trying to go into your own business. Forget that. You can't do that. What if you lose everything you've got? That inner conversation that stopped you from doing the things you want to do less, don't do that. Forget all that. And then I said, shut up. You'll get scared sometimes. Your mind will go blank on you. You've got to learn to stand up to yourself inside yourself. And short circuit, override that conversation that's always going on. 85% of what that conversation will tell you is negative. It will tell you you're tired when you really are not tight. It will tell you you can't do it. It will fill you with fear. So you've got to watch that conversation. And when you find it going on, you've got to stand up to it and say, I'm going to do this anyhow. I'm afraid, but I'm afraid not to do it. And I'm not going to let you stop me. You've got to stand up inside yourself sometimes and say, shut up. Some people you will allow to unnerve you. You can't do this. You don't have everything it takes. I shut up. I have got to do it. 
That's why you've got to learn to make a conscious, deliberate, determined effort to stand up inside yourself, working on yourself, watching that inner dialogue. It will determine the quality of your life. The biggest challenge that you will have in life is you. Because there's no enemy within. The enemy outside can do us no harm. You've got to sell yourself every day on your abilities, on what you're doing, on the goal that you want to reach. You're bombarded with negative stuff every day that beats you down, and you will find yourself unconsciously engaged in self-destructive behavior. If you don't program yourself, life will program you. Don't complain. Don't talk negative. Average people use their time to complain. Average people talk problems. The greats talk solutions. Live your life with passion, with some drive. Decide that you're going to push yourself. You want to live life with energy and passion. You want to be happy. You got a lot to be thankful for. Most people won't do that. Most people give up on themselves easily. You know the human spirit is powerful? There's nothing as powerful. It's hard to kill the human spirit. You got to get this beast mode. Everything about you have to say, I ain't playing. If it's to have, I'm going to get it. And I ain't leaving none of it behind. It's my beast mode. If you want to get your butt out to bed, ride from sunup to sundown, you can have the life that other people dream of. Sponsored by Dell Small Business. I'm Stacey Lynn in Washington. President Biden sending a stern message to Vladimir Putin today, saying there will be a severe penalty should he use chemical weapons in Ukraine. After he announced the U.S. and its allies in the G7 in Europe would remove Russia from their lists of normalized trading partners, the president was asked about the possibility that Vladimir Putin might order the use of chemical weapons in Ukraine. Russia would pay a severe price if he used chemical weapons. Earlier, he said this about the prospect of a direct military engagement between Russia Russia and the West. Direct confrontation between NATO and Russia is World War III. Something he says the Allies must strive to prevent. Stephen Portnoy, CBS News, the White House. Stores in Russia are restricting some staple items now with more sanctions being imposed. Local supermarkets have limited sales of things like flour, sugar, pasta, and canned meat. Vice President Harris was in Romania today where she got emotional addressing the humanitarian crisis happening in Ukraine. It is painful to watch. It is painful to watch what is happening to innocent people. Many refugees are struggling, trying to figure out where to go. Lena Norik is a U.S. citizen living in New Hampshire who flew to Romania the first day of the bombing in Odessa, Ukraine, to bring her family back. It's only our hope, one hope. Her mom, brother, sister-in-law, and niece joined them in Bucharest, but only her mother was granted a non-immigrant visa. Before us, I was watching, it was like five other couples. No one got visa, no one. Norik says they will reapply next week, but has a plea. Just let them in to U.S. Allison Keyes, CBS News. Meanwhile, North Korea has conducted two ballistic missiles tests. Here, CBS's Kami McCormick. The Pentagon says the range isn't clear, but North Korea is likely evaluating this new system before conducting a test at full range in the future. Potentially, it says, disguised as a space launch. That would be the most significant provocation in years. The U.S. has ordered intensified surveillance activity in the Yellow Sea and enhanced readiness of U.S. ballistic missile defense forces in the region.
About 50 million Americans are in the path of a winter storm. Here's WCBS meteorologist Craig Allen. This is going to be a high-impact storm for many areas from the Ohio and Tennessee Valley over to the eastern seaboard and up and down the entire I-95 corridor. It will start with rain and thunderstorms and change over to a heavy wind-driven snow to be falling at 1 to 2 inches per hour. Old man winter isn't playing nice. This is CBS News. The following program is an anchor production, now available on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. And with that being said, the Ace Balone Show starts right now. Right into this world. Welcome to another edition of Mind Chatter. It's Sunday, March 29th, and uh, hope everybody's doing well in this silly uh, stay-at-home, you know, stay-at-home coronavirus crap going on right now. Um, I'm still living my life, you know, nothing, nothing's really changed for me except for being out of work for a couple of weeks, but... I don't know, just be smart about it. Wash your hands. <laughs> um, today I want to talk about um, a pretty pretty amazing phenomenon. And it's, it's the power of belief, the power of faith. And faith and belief, I mean, religious connotations aside, I mean, they're almost interchangeable um, and synonymous in meaning... You know, it's like a complete trust and confidence that something is true. Um, a sincere acceptance, even, uncertainty. Um, especially when you don't have actual proof or knowledge or, or evidence of something. And I'm, I'm curious, and I'm simultaneously fascinated by the power of belief when you, you really put some thought into it. So I... I uh, I, I was inspired to write an article a long time ago, and to do to do the podcast today about it. The power, the power of belief, the power of faith, and it, it's it's an amazing thing. When, you, when we believe in something, I mean, some some downright amazing things happen, you know. And, and uh, I'm going to go in a couple different directions w- with this, with some examples. Yeah, you know, I just have so many questions surrounding the concept of belief. Um, so, you know, such as how, how does belief affect the body's ability to heal itself? You know, it's in the case of, uh, like, the placebo effect or, you know, a faith healing even. Um, well, good morning, Jeff. Thanks for tuning in. I mean, th- nobody's going to deny that the placebo effect, you know, it's a real phenomenon. I mean, just the fact that there is such a thing as the placebo effect kind of demonstrates just how powerful our minds are. Uh, truly can be you know the placebo effect can be seen in uh, like clinical trials you know in new pharmaceutical drugs 
um, hit the market. Um, even something that I'll talk about this in a minute, but um, something called phantom surgery. Yeah, that's a that's a mind blower there. And even if you want to get into uh, you know successful um, operations or but you know like tribal shamans and medicine men, you know, they they practice faith healing. Um, yeah, I mean, so I kind of wondered. I mean, could the power of belief? I mean, be the real reason that any medical procedure or treatment really either works or it doesn't. Good morning, Asa. Thanks for tuning in, bud. Um, so, I mean, is the medicine itself, at least in most cases, I mean, completely useless, especially if we're talking about the placebo effect? I mean, do medicines and treatment only work simply because the doctor says they will and the patient has complete you know, faith in what the doctor's telling them. Or does the patient otherwise have a, uh, a preconceived belief, I suppose, that the medicine or the treatment is supposed to work or, or it has worked in the past, you know? That's, a, that's actually called a, something called the expectation effect. You know, you expect it to be a certain way, so it is. It's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy almost. Um, but what about the cases of uh, this phantom surgery I was just talking about? I mean, I... I've read some documented instances where a patient will go in for, uh, you know, something like a knee construction surgery to fix a, um, like a torn ligament or something like that. Um, and unbeknownst to the patient, the doctor does nothing except to make a small incision or two and then sew them right back up, you know, while the, pa the patient's under anesthesia and then, then the patient ends up making a full recovery in a matter of weeks. I mean, it, that's, that's amazing that that even works. I don't know if it's necessarily illegal. Martin, Martin Rancher, thanks for tuning in. Oh, hi, babes. Um, I mean, how is that even possible? I mean, it, it's, I'm sure it's unethical to do that, but how 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 is it possible? I mean, you could go in, you could go in and make a couple of cuts on somebody's knee and, and otherwise not fix anything else, but just because the doctor told the patient, you know, hey, surgery went great. You know, you should be able to walk in a couple of weeks. You know, I mean, is it simply faith in what the doctor told him that healed his knee? I mean, that's just, that's amazing stuff. And, it, and it's it's real. It's a real thing. You know, um, we could go in a, you know, it's not necessarily a religious topic, but we could go in a religious angle with it. I mean, it makes me wonder if this is how, uh, how Jesus was able to heal so many people. I mean, perhaps not necessarily because he had any, uh, you know, super, super human ability to cure diseases or heal wounds, but simply because the people believed he did. You know, like I said, this is not a, a religious topic, you know, per se, but I mean, you could add in this, the thought about Jesus, like the Christian faith believes it. Um, Jesus will come back to earth at some point in the future, you know, yet to be determined. But concerning the, the phenomenon of belief, um, an interesting question, I think, is uh, if Jesus' second coming depends on there being a belief in it. So let's say, for example, that Christianity or, or Judeo-Christian theology in general, you know, basically folded up and faded away in the next several hundred years, thousand years, whatever. And, and essentially, there were no more believers in the Christian version of things. Would Jesus still come back if there were no believers left to come back to? Or is he still coming back regardless of anyone's belief in him? You know, 
power of belief, man. It's it's a weird thing to, to ponder and just a lot of different questions. I mean, we could go in a different direction. I mean, the power of belief, what about in the context of something like hypnotism? I mean, it works for some people, but not others. Well, why not? You know, they say that for uh, hypnotism to truly work, the hypnotist needs a, uh, you know, quote-unquote, a prime candidate or one who is more susceptible to suggestion. So, in other words, he needs a candidate who believes in hypnotism, right? I mean, the effects of hypnotism are, are, are real. They're undeniable for those who are susceptible to it. I mean, they quit smoking, they lose weight, you know, jump around on stage clucking like a chicken or, or uh, you know, comply with just about any other suggestion. So, I mean, I wonder, not to get unethical here, but could you suggest to, like, a cancer patient, for example, under hypnosis? that they no longer suffer from cancer? Would they be cured? I mean, if there was a way to erase, you know, disease or disability, you know, injury or affliction of some sort from one's memory, would they instantly recover? I mean, does the power of belief extend that far? But it makes me wonder just how powerful, you know, faith and belief and placebo effect really is. I mean, how, how powerful is the human mind? I mean, could we could we could we take that in the opposite direction too? Like, yeah, you know, I thought about this a while back, but could belief, you know, just the the concept of belief, could that be responsible in some way for some of the worst uh, uh, population decimations in history, like the the plagues and the flus of Europe in, the, in like the Middle Ages? Could that simply be a result of uh, well, almost like a mass hysteria? I mean, so many people died simply because they believed they would. You know, a large scale, what they call, a, it's kind of the opposite of a placebo effect. It's called nocebo effect. You know, like, uh, well, what about like when the Spanish conquistadors landed in Mexico, um, Central America in the late 1400s? I mean, it's commonly believed that the conquistadors brought with them um, things like yellow fever and smallpox, you know, things that um, the indigenous people had never encountered before, therefore they had no immune system resistance to. You know, kind of like what people are saying about this silly coronavirus. You know, that's the big fear is that we have no resistance to it because it's a novel virus. You know, but as far as like the indigenous people of the Central American times, you know, is that just another case of maybe mass hysteria? I mean, if the people you know, of the Middle Ages, Europe, and, and Latin America, I mean, if they all believed that they were being overtaken by, uh, you know, some sort of evil or demon that they couldn't fight, I mean, could it be possible that they su they succumb to the horrible symptoms conjured up by their own belief systems? I mean, today, you know, modern era, we know that the mind-body connection is capable of producing uh, what they call psychosomatic symptoms. I mean, so, it's, like I said, it just, it, it does raise the question. Um, but is that the reason that these types of things don't haunt us today? Because we believe that we have control of, you know, things like the bubonic plague and yellow fever. We no longer believe that we'll die in that manner. You know, and, and it, could it be, you know, why the modern day plagues, I guess you could call them of cancer or, or AIDS even, still claim a lot of victims every year because we believe we're still at their mercy. So if one day, as an example, 
you know, a, a researcher or a doctor, you know, announced that he had uh, produced a cancer-killing drug. You know, would the announcement in and of itself be enough to kill cancer? Even if the drug was, you know, nothing more than, uh, you know, saline pill with some food coloring. You know, could the could the placebo effect and the power of belief it really extend that far? I mean, it's hard to say for sure. It, it seems to me that it would be like, uh, probably like hypnotism. I mean, some people would believe in it. Some people wouldn't. You know, I find it hard to believe that it hasn't been tried already. It probably has. Um, I'm, I'm sure it's been tried with treatments of various um, symptoms, you know, testing for placebo effects with control groups, double-blind studies, you know, other types of uh, research experiments. Um, my my fiancé who uh, passed away from cancer uh, in 2007, we actually, uh, when she was going through all her treatments, we actually took part in us on a experimental study like that except it wasn't a double blind study or nothing but i mean it could have been a placebo for all we know i mean it was medication that we were told to uh increase the white blood cell count um in the blood um since you know, chemotherapy usually depletes it um the point is that you know we knew what the medication was supposed to accomplish beforehand so you know the effects of the medication maybe predictably reflected that I mean, I can't say for sure if uh, if Jennifer believed in the medication prior to actually taking it, but, you know, she had to go through uh, tests and checkups every so often. So w when the, the subsequent testing showed that there was a very marked increase in her white blood cell count, I mean, she most assuredly became a believer after that. You know, I had not really considered the possibility that we might have been subject we have, might have we might have been in in an experiment and and I guess you could couch it in those terms. We were a experiment in a belief study, I suppose. I mean, we went through the uh, the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Clinic in Seattle, but so basically only they know if it was actually a placebo or not. You know, so I mean, it worked. I mean, whether it was just a little a little tiny vial that looked like water. I mean, it could have been. <laughs> but, I mean, this, you know, that's what we're talking about today. I mean, what are the limits, really, of uh, the power of belief, you know, and faith? I mean, to kind of put it to the extreme, I mean, if you honestly believe that gravity did not apply to you, could you float or fly? You know, it's hard to imagine that one, especially since everyone already believes <laughs> that the force which holds us securely to the planet, you know, even if some people don't have a specific word for it. I mean, history is not rife with stories of flying people before, you know, Sir Isaac Newton, you know, discovered and explained gravity. Gravity just is. I mean, I don't know that any amount of believing or disbelieving is going to allow us to levitate, you know, as far as I know. But, I mean, who knows? I mean, perhaps there's a way to defy gravity, and we just haven't figured it out yet. I mean, if that ever happens, well... You know, most everyone be able to to, to levitate or, or to float or something. I mean, is that all our belief system needs is for someone to prove that it's possible? Once you see it, you know. Morning, Jeff. Thanks for tuning in, buddy. You know, we could also go in, like, a different direction with, uh, like, politicians, um, economists, you know, when they address the concept of, uh, they call it consumer confidence. 
you know is that the power of belief right there behind that i mean it seems that our economy here in the in the united states anyway is driven you know largely by what people believe i mean the stock market certainly works that way um the economy works best when we spend money and we buy things right we're a consumer driven market which we will do i mean we'll buy stuff if we believe that the state of the economy is healthy um however if we believe that we're in poor economic times, most people will spend less, you know, become a little more frugal, save their money rather than spend it. So I think this con consumer confidence measuring stick, I mean, it's one that is prone to falsification. Politicians want us to always believe that the com economy is doing well, regardless of the actual numbers and statistics out there. All right? They want to manipulate us into thinking and believing all is good no matter what all right subtle tricks are used by uh politicians um you know things like uh you know they'll hire a bunch of government workers and then say that they've added or created thousands of new jobs right so it's like a sneaky little political slide hand but you know another trick is to uh for the federal reserve to keep interest rate rates low to uh deter people from saving their money because you don't get any interest in your savings account, right? So they it, they try to encourage people to take out loans instead. In other words, you know, manipulate them into spending. I mean, after all, you know, with all those new government jobs, um, the economy must be doing well, right? Well, that's what they want you to believe. But so belief and faith. I mean, they're they're intriguing concepts. I mean, not only does um, <laughs> safe. <laughs> Morning, Doug. <laughs> um, not only does belief have some amazing connections with our own mind and body health system, but you know our beliefs can also dictate how we behave and, and what choices we make in our everyday life. I mean, in this way, belief can and does have uh, a direct effect on our environment and our surroundings. And uh, I'm going to share a little story with you that I've I heard this is a legal battle, actually, I heard about uh, several years ago. Um, but it was between a church and a, a man who brought some property uh, right next door to the church. And uh, he had, he had the intention was to turn the property into uh, some sort of bar, like a, a sports bar or nightclub of some sort. Well, the reverend of the church uh, talked to the man. He approached him and talked to him and pleaded with him not to put a bar next to his church. Um but the man went ahead and, and with his plans, and he built he built himself a bar or a nightclub or whatever it was. And the reverend asked his congregation to pray that the business failed. <laughs> and uh, this is this is pretty funny, really. But shortly after uh, opening up the the new bar, it, it was destroyed by a fire. Um, so the man sued the church for uh, damages. Well, you know, but the church denied any kind of liability or whatever. The, the judge in the uh, in the civil dispute, he was on record saying he didn't know which way to go with the ruling of the case because it appeared to him that the bar owner believed in the power of prayer, but the church didn't because <laughs> they were praying for it to fail. So, yeah, that was kind of interesting. Um, I think that, excuse me for a second here. I mean, we are because of what we believe we are. I mean, we, we become what we believe we will become 
as long as we put the effort into the belief. And that's kind of a weird way to word that. I apologize, but um, I think it's really important for each of us to analyze exactly what it is that we believe deep within ourselves, um, deep within our own subconscious minds, you know, that our beliefs, that's where our beliefs reside, is in our subconscious, you know, and it has a has the ability to dictate our actions and our habits. Well, if you think about it, um, if you truly believe that you're susceptible to an illness, for example, like in the case of uh, like germaphobes or hypochondriacs, you're probably most certainly going to end up sick. I mean, if you truly believe that you're just an average Joe, no better than anyone else, that's all you'll ever be. I mean, who was it? Uh, oh, Henry Ford, I think. This had something to the effect of whether you think you can or whether you think you can't, you're right. And that kind of that kind of speaks right to the, the heart of, of belief. And, and I mentioned earlier, this isn't necessarily a religious um, topic, but I'm going to bring up something from the um, Christian Bible. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, in Mark uh, chapter 5 and in Luke chapter 8, the same story, through a crowd of people when he suddenly asked, you know, who, who just touched me? You know, his disciples responded that it could have been anyone after all. I mean, they were surrounded by a, a crowd of many people. And Jesus replied, no, this person believed. <clears throat> he was touched by a woman who had uh, suffered some sort of bleeding affliction or ailment, probably something like hemophilia for like 12 years. But she stopped bleeding as soon as she touched his robe as he walked by. Now, had this woman truly believed that Jesus was a charlatan instead, she wouldn't have been healed, right? Much like the majority of the rest of the crowd, including those who did actually touch him, you know, they didn't believe that he was anything special or they were skeptical, so they didn't get healed. But could the basis of, uh, like, Jesus' miracle healings also be the basis for today's, you know, scientific medical healings, you know, a simple but powerful belief in the one doing the healing, right? This is one of those things that I find so intriguing about Jesus himself is the fact that he understood the, the power of, of faith and people's belief. I mean, there are, there's a lot of places in the New Testament which highlight which highlight that understanding by Jesus. I mean, even, you know, 2,000 years ago. You know, Matthew uh, 9.29 is one of my favorites, where he heals a blind man. He flat out asks the blind man, do you believe I can make you see? And the guy says, yeah. And Jesus instructs, instructs him to go. He says, according to your faith, it will be so. You know what I mean? In other words, become what you believe. And he was healed. He could see. So, um, there's another one too. Uh, Matthew chapter 17. Um, kind of highlights this understanding of, of the belief system itself. I mean, Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 17 um, that if they had as much faith as a mustard seed, they could command mountains to move, and that with faith, nothing is impossible. <laughs> if I walk through a spider web, then I also believe that there is definitely a spider. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, been there. I mean, so whether we're talking about, you know, the wisdom of Jesus over 2,000 years ago or the possibilities of today, 
I mean, the, the same principles seem to apply. I mean, with faith and belief, we can accomplish just about anything. You know, not just belief in, in religion or, or the existence of God or something, but... <clears throat> oh, yeah, Elmar, that's the one, yeah. Um, but, I mean, just overall faith and belief in ourselves and what we're capable of. You know, because it's it's the belief that inspires us to, to take, you know, the appropriate actions. The only question seems to be, I mean, what what are the limits of, of our belief? You know, what are the limits of our subconscious minds? I mean, exactly what are we capable of? I mean, we... I've, I've heard, you know, it's, it's kind of a cliche, I suppose, but the, the ignorant man who, who accomplished some amazing things that everyone else thought to be impossible simply because he didn't know that he couldn't, you know, in the, in the same way, it is our knowledge that gravity is an impenetrable law of physics, is that the only thing stopping us from levitating? I mean, what if we turned that on its head? What if we uh, just said that we believed we could rather than knowing that we can't? I mean, that's, that's, that's a hard one to wrap your head around, but like I said, it's just a thought. I mean, most people will say gravity doesn't depend on our belief in it or not, right? You're going to be held to the, to the earth regardless, but I mean, think about it. We've already defied the so-called impenetrable law of gravity in, in a variety of other ways, you know, propeller, airplanes, jet engines, rocket technology, hot air balloons. You know, jumping, trampolines, magnetism. I mean, who's to say we won't be able to achieve natural flight or levitation through some sort of uh, placebo effect even? I mean, how do we know that? I mean, like a sugar pill can cure a disease. How do we know that we can't fly once someone demonstrates that it's that it's possible? You know, how can we be so sure that having true faith and belief won't work. I mean, if we weren't so darn sure that we couldn't, maybe we could. You know, maybe we're maybe we're talking ourselves into being trapped by gravity in the same way that that's you know a hypochondriac talks himself into being sick. Right? The power of belief, and it's. I think we could do some even more astonishing things if we uh, if we just stop convincing ourselves that we couldn't. Right. Even if that means defying, you know, so-called laws of physics, I mean, defying gravity or, or traveling to the past might just be the might just be the beginning. You know, I, of course, I'm not suggesting you go jumping off a rooftop thinking you're going to take off like Superman. I mean, obviously, as long as we believe gravity is stronger than us, we'll go down, not up. <clears throat> so, I mean, until we figure out a, a way around that, it's probably best to stay away from high <laughs> high places. Still, I mean, it makes me curious. I mean, I've been curious about it for a long time about just the how far that that power of belief can extend. I mean, like, I mean, is the only reason we die from a, a, a fall, for example, is simply because we expect to. I mean, just because we believe that we will. I mean, sort of like the Europeans who. Uh, you know, perished in the Middle Age plagues. You know, they believed that once the plague hit their villages, they were done. And that's essentially what happened. So, I mean, I'm wondering if there isn't uh, yeah, kind of a bizarre case of, you know, cause and effect happening. You know, people, you know, 
causing things to happen, you know, like dying from a fall or a plague, you know, based on their own preconceived beliefs of, of what's supposed to happen. I mean, it kind of works both ways. You know, are the beliefs based on what they're seeing? You know, if we saw someone floating or levitating firsthand, would we then believe that we could indeed defy gravity? You know, is it is it we have to see to believe it, or do we have to believe it first in order to see it? You know, it's a it's an it's an interesting way to put it, I guess. Hey, good morning, Devin. Thanks for tuning in, man. But again, I mean, it, it would probably depend on the the belief of the witness itself. I, I mean, if you believed in what you were seeing, you could probably do it one day yourself. But if you believe that it was just an illusion or uh, a trick of some sort, then you'll never do it. You'll never be able to fly. You know, same with people who are, uh, like, susceptible to hypnotism. You know? Well, hey, how about what if someone was hypnotized into believing that gravity affected them differently? And they could float. Would they? wonder if <laughs> anybody ever tried that? <laughs> I mean, talking about, talk about testing the placebo effect to its limits. I mean, you could go in a little darker direction with that, I suppose. Oh, good morning, Debbie. You know, like, what about under hypnosis? I mean, what if, what if you, though that would be pretty bad. What if you gave a cyanide pill to a, to a, a sufferer of a disease or something, except under hypnosis, tell them that it's the cure. You know, what, what would happen? Unethical, probably illegal, it'd be something like that. But, I mean, as far as the, uh, um, the power of belief, the placebo effect, I mean, if you really trick tricked his subconscious mind into believing that cyanide was the cure, would it work? I mean, I don't know. I have to, I have to kind of wonder about the power of belief. I mean, extending further than our own mind-body connection. I mean, does a... It's hard, how do I word this? Uh, I mean, does, does belief go further than, than maybe getting rid of our own psychological barriers, you know? Is faith or belief all it takes to uh, accomplish the impossible, really? Or does it take something more, you know? In other words, is, is belief merely the starting point? I mean, do we first have to remove the impossibility and instead believe or have faith that it's even possible? I mean, who knows? Food for thought. I mean, that's, that's where I'm going to leave it for today, but... I mean, just kind of think of what what might be uh, what might be possible if we just believed in it. I mean, not just like I said, not just in a in a religious connotation, but I mean, just in everyday life, things that you think that shouldn't happen or can't happen. I mean, turn that turn that thinking on its head, see what happens. I don't know, but don't go jumping off your roof. <laughs> So everybody that tuned in today, I do appreciate it. Thank you. I'm going to leave it there for today. Sorry, Dame. Oh, now now I'm getting all these viewers that I'm about done. Hey, Rodney, how are you doing? Um, but I'm going to leave it there, and I will be back next week with another episode of My Chatter. So thank you all. Have a wonderful, wonderful Sunday, and wash your damn hands. <laughs> all right, thanks, guys. ABC News. I'm Michelle Franzen. 
More than two weeks after Russia invaded Ukraine, the race for civilians to get out getting more dangerous. Heavy shelling in cities like Mariupol continue. ABC's Maggie Ruley is in Ukraine. There are hundreds of thousands of people still trapped in that city. They've been experiencing shelling and bombings for more than nine days now. And of course, we have those horrific images of the bombing of the maternity and children's hospital. More than two and a half million people have fled Ukraine so far to neighboring countries. President Biden vowing the U.S. and allies would expand economic pressures but won't send military troops to Ukraine, even as Russia steps up its attacks, including indications the Pentagon says Russia may be preparing to use chemical weapons. The president announcing the U.S. and allies are severing more trade ties with Russia and pushed back on criticism on rising gas prices here at home. President Biden again blaming Russian President Vladimir Putin for high gas prices here in the U.S. From the moment he put his over 150,000 troops on the Ukrainian border, the price of gasoline in January went up 75 cents. The president also blamed domestic oil companies for not producing enough. They have over 7,000 permits to dig oil if they want. Why aren't they out pumping oil? Karen Travers, ABC News. Washington. Spring training already underway a day after Major League Baseball and Players Union reached a deal. It was a tough battle between the league and players, but they have a deal. Players Association head Tony Clark, a former star of the game, says after 99 days of negotiating, the players got what they wanted. Getting younger players more of their value earlier, addressing issues related to service time manipulation. Tyrone Robinson owns a bar across from Yankee Stadium. He says having baseball back got him choked up. I literally cried. Very good day. There will be some changes like two more teams in the playoffs and the National League will adopt a designated hitter. Alex Stone, ABC News. You're listening to ABC News. Two years ago today, the World Health Organization declared COVID-19 a pandemic. Officially, since then, the virus has claimed more than 6 million lives worldwide, nearly 1 million of those deaths here in the U.S. alone. But with several vaccines, tests and treatments, the U.S. slowly moving to a better place. Still, CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky tells ABC News COVID is not yet endemic. Endemic means we're really in a steady state, that things are neither increasing nor decreasing. So I think it's a to early to say that we're in a steady state, but also um, to acknowledge that I think we should not, not be comfortable with a steady state where we're still having about 1,100 deaths a day. And on this COVID anniversary, there are over 1,000 new COVID cases reported in China for the first time since the start of the pandemic. The city of Changchun, with 9 million residents in the northeastern part of the country under a lockdown amid a spike in cases. The Census Bureau says many minority groups were missed in the 2020 census counting at higher rates than the previous count a decade earlier. Here's ABC's Dave Packer. Blacks, Hispanics, and American Indians were undercounted by a greater margin in the 2020 census than they were in 2010. That from the Census Bureau's post-enumeration survey, the undercounts leading to an outcry from civil rights leaders blaming the Trump administration for trying to add a citizenship question and for cutting field operations short. This is ABC News. If you guys enjoyed that episode do me a favor leave me a five star rating on spotify and apple podcast or however many stars you think i deserve and until next time i will catch your asses down the road